Good morning, Gateway. It is so good to be with you this morning. We're going to jump straight into this morning's topic of why should we trust the Bible? And I really want to take it from my perspective, which is why do I trust the Bible? I'm not even going to try and cover all of the questions that you could possibly ask about why to trust the Bible. We simply don't have time. I'm not going to jump into dinosaurs or the creation story or anything like that. Uh, and also, I just want you to know that I'm not an expert. That's why I want to come from my perspective. Why do I trust the Bible? If you really want to delve into those questions, go to Bible college. I've been to Bible college, but I don't have time to tell you everything I learned from it. So really this morning, I want to give you some framework to understand the Bible better and to help you read and research the Bible better. Because I think that a lot of the distrust that we might feel around the Bible is misplaced. So here's where we're going this morning. We're going to start with the foundation, which is some measurable things, some facts, some things we can look at that give us some confidence in the authenticity of the Bible. And then onto that foundation, we're going to add the church's experience, the, not just our church, the church's experience. And then we're going to add some personal experiences to that. Because in that whole story, I think we form a bit of an answer to why should I trust the Bible? Let's jump into the, uh, the quote unquote scholarly bit first. So uh, when we talk about ancient documents, because really the Bible is an ancient, very old, thousands of years, depending on which part of the Bible you're reading, old document, we get into this area of study called historicity, uh, which is a very fancy word. But basically what we're talking about is, can we trust the, the actual document? Not necessarily it's like content, but can we trust that what was written thousands of years ago is what we have now? Uh, you could say the authenticity of the Bible. And there's a few things, uh, a few facts, a few things that we can look at the documents and say that we're pretty confident in the historicity or the authenticity of the Bible. Number one is the quality. And when we talk about the quality, I'm talking about how people made these copies. Because obviously, we're not talking about running to the photocopier and smashing out a few extra copies of these documents. We're talking about people who had to copy these documents. And one of the questions that often comes up when we talk about the authenticity of the Bible over time is, hasn't it changed over time? How could it possibly be right? But the truth is that from before even the New Testament was written, the Jewish people had a deep reverence for scripture. And even now in Christian and Jewish circles, there is a deep reverence for scripture. And Jewish scribes were known to be the top notch scribes for having your documents copied to the point where they copied in pairs, literally one person with a blank manuscript and the manuscript that they're copying. And one person is writing out the copy and there's a second person over their shoulder, watching them copy to make sure that they don't make any mistakes. I don't know about you, but I don't think I could work under that sort of pressure. And what that comes out as is a lot of manuscripts that are extremely close to each other. And you might hear extremely close and go, well, doesn't that mean there's some differences? There are some slight differences between some of the manuscripts, but they're pretty irrelevant. Uh, they're generally very minor changes. But also it follows on to the next you know, question of historicity, which is the quantity of documents. There is a massive quantity of documents, 
um, we'll talk about the New Testament specifically here. There's a massive quantity of documents and quantity is important because if you only have two copies of a document or two accounts of somebody's life and there's a variation between those two accounts, it's very difficult to figure out which one you should rely on, right? And uh, when we go back into antiquity, often there's multiple copies of documents, but often there's not as many as you might think because copying them was hard work, writing them was hard work, the materials were more difficult to come by, only really important things got written down, let alone copied. And so what sort of quantity should we consider, you know, relevant when it comes to the historicity of the Bible? Well, if we want to talk about people that we're absolutely sure lived and whose teachings we know about and quote, we could talk about Julius Caesar and the Gaelic Wars. We could talk about Aristotle's writings. We could talk about Tacitus' history of the Roman Empire. We could talk about Plato's writings. And each of those people really only have somewhere between five and 50 surviving documents to document what they taught or what they did. For the New Testament, we have over 20,000 documents that we can cross-check between and that form this whole picture of what the New Testament says. So the quantity of documents added to the quality, we get, you know, we get to see the quality even more when we see all the different versions in the quantity. And we can be sure that what is written in there now is what was supposed to be written. And the last thing I would say about the historicity of the Bible is timing. Again, when we talk about a lot of many documents about many people, the copies that we have are from, you know, between four and 1500 years after that person lived. Let's take one example from the New Testament. Paul's letters were written around 15 years after Jesus was on the earth. Let me tell you, if you were going to invent something, it's better to do so once some of the people who were there have actually died. That's not a good timeline to invent any stories in. So the timing gives us uh, some reason to trust the Bible. That's just a few reasons. There's many reasons why you should trust the Bible, but that is just a few. So we are pretty confident that the book we have today is the book that was written back then. So the next issue, I think, when it comes to trusting the Bible is actually interpreting the Bible, because the Bible isn't always what it says on the surface. And uh, in some of the reading I was doing, one of the things I really loved from one of the books I was reading was this. Don't walk away from the Bible because of a misunderstanding. We have to get better at understanding the Bible if we want to get better at trusting the Bible. This might be a controversial statement for some people, but the Bible as a whole is not a historical, literal document. The whole Bible is not literally true or things that literally happened. It's an inspired document with a purpose. I'm going to say that again. It's important. It's an inspired document with a purpose. The purpose of the Bible is not for us to be able to build up a chronology of things that happened. It's for us to build up a theology. And all theology is, is thinking about God, what we think about God. It's the purpose of it is to build up a theology. So what are the things we need to consider if we want to get better at interpreting the Bible? Context, context, 
context. We have lots of different contexts to pay attention to, and here's just a few. Firstly, the historical context. Who wrote it? When did they write it? And who were they writing it to? Where it is in the Bible. This is important. Who wrote it? Who were they writing to? Why are all of Jesus' examples to do with farming? It's because he was speaking to farmers. It doesn't mean that the advice is only applicable to farmers. We know that intrinsically when we read these stories that were written to farmers or these stories that were spoken to farmers, but the same is true for the whole Bible. You have to understand the historical context. Even where were they? Secondly, the literary context. Different sections of the Bible have different literary functions. Some of the Bible is historical. Some of it is literal teachings. Go and do this. Some of it is metaphor. We know that because Jesus spoke in parables. But also some of the Bible is art. Some of it's poetry. Some of it's music. We need to know what we're reading to help us interpret it and to not have a misunderstanding. And finally, cultural. What was life like for them and how does that apply to us? But also, what does our cultural framework project onto the Bible? We have to be careful that we're not deciding what the Bible should say based on where in time and space we are. And here's the last thing I would say about how to get better at reading your Bible. If you can start working on learning a little bit about context, 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 that'll help heaps. And secondly, study with others, whether that's in person, whether that's online through trusted sources, <laughs> whether that's with supporting documents like Bible dictionaries and concordances. And in your Bible, if you want to get better at reading, understanding your Bible, get a study Bible that has lots of notes in there. All right, scholarly singe out, we're done. We've got the foundation, boom, sorted. So let's move on to some of the more subjective reasons to trust the Bible. And uh, we're gonna build these subjective reasons on our strong foundation of facts for people who might be a bit stressed about the word subjective. Um, we're gonna move on to the church's combined experience over thousands of years. I think that this is really important. And I know that not everybody's experience of the church has been overwhelmingly positive, but I believe that the church's combined experience of the Bible over thousands of years is overwhelmingly positive. Where it has taken the church, what it has led people to be like, how it's grown us as a community and how that's happened in so many other communities. The church's combined experience of being able to trust the Bible and of its words proven to be true is another important thing that we can put behind us and go like, okay, the Bible is worth maybe trusting. And then the next subjective reason is your close encounters of the biblical kind. We all have different experiences of the Bible, and maybe you don't have a close experience of the biblical kind. But if you're in this community, if you're starting to connect with us online or in person, there's people around you who have had close encounters of the biblical kind. I've had close encounters of the biblical kind where I started with my foundation of being able to trust the Bible and then moved on to hearing other people's experience and then testing it out for myself taking a chance that maybe this book has something worth uh, taking on in my life. And I've taken a chance on that. And I've had a close encounter of the biblical kind. 
So the next step on in this journey of how do you trust the Bible? How did I come to trust the Bible? Starting with the foundation of facts and historicity, it was moving on to other people's experience and the experience of the church over thousands of years. And then it was being willing to have a go at it myself and see whether that power might apply in my own life as well. And let me say, uh, a number of years ago, I heard an incredible message in this church from Marg Perry. And one of the things she spoke about was being willing to move forwards on 80%. We make so many decisions in our lives where we're only 80% sure. If you're like 80% sure about switching to a new job, most of the time you switch to that new job. We're used to moving forward on something on 80%. And I think the same should be true of our spiritual journeys, whether you're right at the start or you're near the end. If you're 80% sure or you've got 80% of a reason to take a chance on God, then be willing to move forward on that 80%. I believe the main reason that we miss out on these close encounters of the biblical kind is simply because we don't pick up the book and give it a chance to change our lives. We think we can tell God how to speak to us and the Bible doesn't work for me. I don't like reading. That doesn't, I'll just put that in my nightstand and forget about it. And as soon as we do that, we often open up the door to try and tell God what he's allowed to say to us as well. But here's the truth. The Bible is dangerous. (laughs) I reckon the Bible should come with a warning sticker. And I'd love to give you a sticker today to slap on the front of your Bible with a big warning sign on it. Because if the Bible is what it says it is, then heck, this book can change your life. It can bring you closer to Jesus. It can bring you joy when life isn't giving you joy. It should bring you peace when life doesn't deserve peace. The Bible is dangerous. It'll call you to more. It'll call you to be better than you thought you could be. It will call you to be braver than you thought you could be. Honestly, if you're not willing to get behind the idea that the Bible is dangerous, maybe you should lock it up in your nightstand and let it get dusty. Because I'm telling you, if you move forward on 80%, if you give this thing a chance, it can change your life. It's messy. It's not a nice, easy read from the self-help section. You're going to have to do some work to get the most out of it. But remember, it's an inspired document with a purpose. So let's come back to that purpose. And for the first time this message, let's look in the Bible. I don't want to use the Bible to try and prove the Bible because that seems a little bit unhelpful. But let's look to the Bible now. As Jesus started his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your mother and father. Teacher, the man declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I just want to note that he loved him first. He looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. 
Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. See here, just quickly, I want you to get this. He moves on from money and he moves on to just, it is hard to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. And if that is true, then when the Bible is calling you to difficult things, when the Bible is hard, and when you read something that maybe you don't agree with, or maybe something that grips your heart, and maybe it's money like it was for this, this guy, or maybe it's something else, some other part of your life that the Bible is gonna call you to let go of or change, just picture Jesus looking at you and loving you first and then calling you to more. You see, the Bible is a book about people failing and God stepping in. And it's about you, you big failure. I can see myself in the camera lens, by the way, I'm talking about myself. But it is, it's about all of us failing. It's a story of redemption where God steps in. Does the Bible paint a picture of who we should be like? Yes. Is it an impossibly high standard? Yep. Do some of its teachings go against the current cultural patterns? They sure do. Does it highlight our weaknesses and vices? Unfortunately. So why bother? Because God. Because God has redeemed. Because God has provided. Because God has comforted. Because God has celebrated. Because God is here with us. And because God has left us a trustworthy, powerful, life-changing, dangerous book that occasionally transcends our logic. And if God is God, then shouldn't it transcend our logic? Be willing to move forward on 80%. Give it a go and see what God might do.